Hi, this is Yvette Francino, and we are in Season 2 of Carpe Diem Connections. I am co-hosting with my good friend, Rebecca Burns, and we're talking about joy in Season 2 using the Joy Makeover, which you can find by going to thejoymakeover.com and follow along with us if you want. Let's get going. Rebecca, this is Yvette. Hi. How are you today, Rebecca? Hi, Yvette. Great to hear from you. Another week on Carpe Diem Connections during the holiday season. And today we're going to be talking about money and joy, the next topic in the joy makeover. And we're speaking on the day after Thanksgiving. So uh, a lot to be thankful for and to feel joyful about. Yes, this is this is traditionally Black Friday when we all go start our spending spree for holiday stuff. So it it uh, it kind of I guess is in theme with money and joy. And the uh, the the video from the Joy Makeover was an expert, Elizabeth Dunn, who talked about the relationship between joy and money. And in the workbook, first question that she brought up is. What's the last thing or experience you brought, you bought that brought you joy? Do you have an answer for that, Becky? Well, that's interesting. I have to do a little twist on the question because I'm coming up on a major milestone birthday. Mm. So I haven't actually spent the money yet, but I've been thinking seriously about spending money to celebrate a milestone birthday. And with my friend Yvette, we've been talking a lot about, you know, what adventures, because you, you've agreed to participate with me in my birthday journey. So it's been fun to consider, you know, what things, what adventures would I like to do? And of course, for me, what came up are outdoor adventures. A big adventure for me would be to fly to Colorado and go skiing. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to put up money to do that. And on a smaller scale, we've agreed to spend money to go on an airboat tour here in Florida to explore the Everglades. So those for me are, are champion ways to spend money to experience joy. The outdoors and being in nature and physically moving my body are all great joy triggers for me. And those actually are things that come up over and over again in all the positive psychology literature. And in fact, I have been reading for some time and they mentioned this more than mentioned it. They really did talk about that the literature shows that we get more happiness from spending money on experiences over things. And so I also have really focused I'm reprioritized what my money spending, both in terms of gifts and for myself, on being more experience based. When I answer this question, what was the last thing or experience that brought that I bought that brought me joy? It also is in that category of really making uh, a budget for coming out here, coming out here to Florida really honoring what I wanted to do 
during these years where I don't have to go into the office and spend winter, winter months in a warm weather place. So I feel super grateful that I met you, Becky, because to me, it's not just about experience. It's also about the relationship and who you're spent doing those experiences with. So what a great thing for me to be able to uh, spend spend money to be able to come out here and also be uh, actually not have to spend as much money as I would have if I didn't know anybody and to be able to experience that with you as well. So I do think um, being creative about how you're spending your money and really being intentional about whether it's bringing you joy is is, is a wonderful thing to do. And you, know, um, you, you raise a key point there about the context of the adventure that you're spending money. I, I think most of us are in the experience corner. I think I think with with decluttering and everything, I think everyone is is learning to release their grasp on physical objects. But when you talk about connection, again, the airboat ride example, I have lived in Florida for the last many, many years. And I yearn to get out on an airboat in the Everglades, but I haven't wanted to do it by myself. So right. all of a sudden, when you are available to do the adventure with me, it opened up a portal that I had not really uh, pushed open. You know, so there's impetus in in the companionship of an adventure. Yes, that is just so true, and. Also, along those same lines, you can have adventures without spending any money. I think it's really more the adventure of having something intentional that you want to do with, with somebody that you like doing with it that really creates the experience that you'll remember. And I know I learned this so well during the periods of life where money was very tight for me that I had so much more fun, really, with, I don't want to say more fun because certainly um, adventures that cost money are very fun, but there are a lot that can be fun that don't cost money. And in some ways that's part of what makes it fun for me, maybe just because I'm so frugal or during those periods where money was really um, an issue. I mean, I had a couple of times in life after post-divorce or post losing my job where I was really nervous about money and and I had kids and we would just make games out of <laughs> you know things and like how cheap can we be on making dinner tonight or something and uh, <laughs> you know it, it, it kind of you make a game of it and it kind of becomes fun and still you know, oh we did that I do have to tell a story here. I, we didn't plan this very well and I know I shouldn't go off, but this is a funny story from uh, from that period. Right after my divorce, I went on a vacation with my kids and we did one of these, uh, these where you see the timeshare thing go, you know, you, you go to a timeshare oh, spiel. Yes, yes. You listen to the spiel and you get a free stay. Yes, and yes. so, or there's there's different variations, but this was a whole Disney World thing. So we got like tickets to Disney World, and we got a, a stay at Cocoa Beach, and it it was it was a good package that was super cheap. Uh, and but I told the kids ahead of time, 
you know, so this isn't going to be our typical vacation. We're going to, we're going to, if we uh, go to a hotel and they have a continental breakfast, we're really going to eat big on the breakfast so we don't have to have lunch. And we're going to have to go see this um, sales thing about timeshare. And, you know, we're going to go to the beach, but we're not going to eat at a fancy restaurant. So anyway, I just, I, you know, and again, I was like, we're going to play a game at doing this. And Remind us how old your kids are during well, this story. Well, um, on this particular trip, I, I just went with my daughter who was 19 at the time and my youngest who was nine. So oh. um, my middle kid had a girlfriend and a different thing. He didn't want to, he didn't want to do it. And um, so I went with those two kids, but we had our little family meeting ahead of time and talked about that we were going to do this. And um, so we get to the place, we have our spiel and there is a little side table with donuts. And so my youngest Scotty um, goes and he piles his plate with like seven donuts and <laughs> brings it over to the table where the salespeople are, the salesman is giving me his initial thing. And, you know, I'm trying to, I, I say, you know, Scotty, we don't really need to fill the plate that, that full. And he's like, but mom, you told me to take as much free food as I could. <laughs> so, then the, uh, so then the salesperson sort of looks at me and I said, clearly I won't be buying a timeshare today. <laughs> I'm just in this for the deal. And uh, the, the, the guy what actually was very nice. And he goes, let's just, let's, let, we'll get you in and out of here as fast as we can. I won't make you go through all the normal stuff. So anyway, it worked to our advantage, but it was pretty embarrassing. And- um, Oh, that is funny. Yeah, so, so we do, that's why I say, we, we've, since my divorce, my kids are used to me being this cheapskate and, and, well, and uh, but luckily- Wait, wait, uh, I have two, two things that, that come up here. One is I have a story for you. Okay, about, you tell me yours. Uh, family stories. But secondly, I want to call you on the word cheap. I think we need to come up between us with a better description because cheap require, it, it, it implies low quality and shoddiness and unworthiness. And I don't think anytime, I mean, I know you and when you are choosing to spend the least amount of money on something or you're trying to be very economical, you are not sending out a message of low quality. You're sending out a message of being flexible, that something doesn't have to be high quality to be useful. You're sending out a message of let's make do with what we have. You know, it's, I think we need to not say the word cheap and find some other expressions. Well, that is a great, great reminder. And I am so glad you did say that, Becky, because I think we carry some shame. I know I both either of overspending or underspending, and it is so easy for us to judge one another and ourselves often on whether, on how we spend our money and what we spend our money on. So let's be exactly. kind with each other and with ourselves. Great reminder. So that is the perfect segue to my story I wanted to share about learning about money. Um, growing up, my, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and like many families of that day, my dad was not always all that available. You know, he was at work, 
And when he had free time, he would choose to go play golf, you know. So when our dad did things with us, it felt really memorable. And he enjoyed taking us out to dinner. He loved spending money on the family. He loved seeing the family enjoy themselves. And I, in particular, was a really good eater. <laughs> um, and so for my birthday, I would get to go just with my parents because I was the, of the three kids, I was the one that liked lobster. I liked rare roast beef. I liked all the restaurant foods anyway, but I'm digressing. I remember my dad taking us to a carnival that was in town and I was pretty young, maybe, you know, eight, nine years old. And you know what it's like to be at a carnival at night. Everything is glittery and it's an exciting atmosphere. And my dad was treating us and he had said, you know, you can pick out, you know, if you'd like something from the fair, you tell me what you would like to get. And we went up to this booth and they had a little fedora, a dark purple felt fedora with glitter and a fabulous peacock feather. And oh, my heart just leaped. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I pointed, I said, dad, dad, I want that. And he looked at me and gently, but I could feel the energy. And he said, you want that? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he bought it for me. And I remember from then on the mixed message of Yes, you know, there is this freedom of spending money for treats, but be careful what you consider a treat. I still can understand the beauty of that glittery little purple hat, but I also recognize what a, what a, you know, what a little sort of wasteful construction it was. I never enjoyed wearing it. It just sat in my room. You know, it was a short-lived excitement but I'll never forget his voice you want that <laughs> and he never have talked me out of it never in a million years but he did communicate his own confusion at why I would want that <laughs> well I I'm not confused I love glittery things and I do think that it wasn't until this recent resurgence almost of talk of positive psychology and learning about this I, I think it's been a little bit of a change I don't know if it's generational or in my mind or about the decluttering but in my parents generation and I still feel that this is true of my mother um, very much values things and especially things that are passed down and I you know I'm not sure that I'm a hundred percent bought in I'm being my my typical contrarian here as far as I do think experiences are important in happiness, but I, I think that there can be some great sentimentality to things that give us much joy and uh, memories. And, you know, you remembered that hat, you probably wouldn't remember the meal. And, you know, it sounds like you didn't necessarily love that <laughs> after all, but uh, I, I think that That's there are point, things yeah. that we love and that we should not feel like we can't find joy in in things that we purchase as well that are are things that do provide us a memory or or but it's just often different for different people so we can't expect well, the same thing that brings us joy to bring somebody else joy 
and you're giving me a great example because one of the projects I have at home is a, a, a beautiful clock from Germany with a rotating uh, brass medallion. I can't even describe it, but it's a clock that my father bought and it requires fixing and it's going to be expensive to fix it. And so my question is, okay, are these, these family heirlooms, are they worth investing in for the future generations even though we have no idea how the grandkids and the family, you know, they're young, they can't, they can't predict what kind of interest they're gonna have in the future. So it's interesting to think about these kinds of investments in maintaining some of the family uh, heirlooms. Right, yeah, my kids are not sentimental. And once again, Marie Kondo, which I do really like her messages and she does talk about decluttering except for things that bring you joy uh, but to really sort of recognize and, and be very intentional about does this bring me joy and as you said uh, if the clock brings you joy I would invest in it and but not to assume maybe that it will bring joy to others uh, and you know that's the thing I think again is to just kind of prioritize and recognize with each item and each way thing that we are spending money on is this adding to our joy and our happiness. Uh, oh, it, you've just set the stage for this perfect topic of how do we know when something costs too much? Yeah. <laughs> so how will I know when the clock repair is too much? Just like how did we discover today that going to the wolf sanctuary you know, we have this experience where we're spending a, a getaway with three people. All three of us had decided we were very keen to go to the wolf sanctuary that we had heard about. And we were all internally calculating how much money we were willing to pony up to go have this adventure. And just a little while ago, I call and we find out that for three of us to go is a total of $650. And all three of us said, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we all have our own little scale in our head of how much is too much based on what our income is or what our budgets are that even if they're a little loosey goosey as to, but you know, we, I, and I know that that can change depending on time of life and what other stresses and what other things are, are going on in life. Once during one of my periods where I was laid off, I was trying to figure out budget and priorities and all that kind of thing. But I remember somebody hearing a quote, something like, it's, it's really simple, just uh, make more money than you spend and you'll be okay. And, um, <laughs> I was like, well, since I'm making nothing now, then that's not going to work out very well for me. I have to spend money to live. But, uh, you know, it. luckily I have always been a saver. And so, you know, I, I think that that is also maybe even a personality trait as well as the product of our teaching of our family and our family culture about whether it's one that is really more one about saving or spending. Another thing that I think is very interesting culturally that I've noticed is our view of people who 
either have money or don't have money. So in Southern oh. California, where my sister lives, I know she's often talking about a lot of judgments that are going on between people around where basically the, the judge, and I've, I've read about this too, you know, that people are viewed as successful and everybody wants to kind of share how successful they've been by sharing their fancy cars or their big houses or, or those kinds of things. So that is a, a sign of status and something that other people admire slash resent. I don't know, depending on who they are, I guess, or if they have, if they're peers or, you know, but then the other side where, where I'm from Boulder, I feel is very almost, it would be embarrassing to show off your wealth in general, not always. I mean, certainly there are a lot of wealthy people in Boulder, but, uh, but I don't, but I think consumption is tacky. Yeah. It's it's kind of viewed as flaunting and very lucky for me because when the kids were growing up, they did not want, they, they were very happy with driving my old Honda that was like, I mean, really old Honda, but that was kind of cool for them. They, they, they liked having this old used car and, and, um, you know, one of them had my old, or, or, you know, it was kind of like they got the handy me down old mm-hmm. cars that they were perfectly happy with. And, um, and, and they didn't just get handed it to them either. I mean, they, they, you know, I wonder if in high schoolers today, that is still the ethos that, uh, lowbrow is what is cool. Well, I think it depends on where your high school is and what the I mean, I mean, still in Boulder. I'm curious if there's been any shift in Boulder amongst young people, because I know that, you know, young people have been gravitating toward more extravagant weddings in the last two decades, um, Hmm. that kind of thing. So I'm curious if there's been any shift. I know my granddaughter in in Fort Lauderdale uh, has her social group is very high income and all of her reference points now, uh, she'll be getting her first car next year. All of her friends are getting brand new, very expensive cars. And I just, boy, my jaw just drops. There's a big, you know, big culture shift there for me. Yeah, it is. It's interesting that where you grow up and how the culture is and how it's viewed, we're, we're all, and especially when you're in high school, so susceptible to worrying about judgment from other people and mm-hmm. uh, kind of keeping up with the cool crowd. And I do feel glad to now be at a time of life where I no longer am really that concerned with, you know, having to live up to a certain reputation, you know, to just kind of, and again, that I have lived in a culture where it's not one where it's, you know, kind of, because that would be a lot of pressure to, um, to feel judged on what you buy. And and I know that it is true uh, uh, all over still. I mean, that's one of the reasons why people say social media is hard for people is because you, if you share something that you're excited about, then maybe people are going to feel mad at you, like you're showing off. Um, but that is, of course, the, the, the inherent weapon of social media. But again, you know, you're being such a long and deep follower of all things in positive psychology. 
that whole happiness movement, I think, has really helped to remind people that it's it. We had this expression when I was growing up in the '60s. It's all happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your peace of mind. It's your happiness. That's your wealth, and yes. it's the only way other people know about it is just by the vibration that you exude. Yes, and I know from again, having both experienced some fears around money and also relief about having, you know, good jobs and now some some good um, financial security that uh, that we are not about how much money we have or how much money we have in the bank or that is not, that just, it does, it doesn't make sense really to judge people on those, on, on that either negatively or positively, but more on their character. And mm-hmm. um, that if you don't have a lot of money, again, there is just wonderful ways that you can still give and and find happiness and that our experiences, again, are, are can just be very everyday, simple things that can bring great joy. So, so yeah, in the, in the long run, but I mean, I will kind of have a caveat on that. I, I do think we, and they say this in positive psychology as well, you do need to have the basics to live. I mean, to have some amount of security. If, you, if you've lost your job, and certainly now I do wanna be sensitive to these COVID times where a lot of people have lost their livelihood. And when you are you know, undergoing a lot of stress of not having an income and you have mouths to feed and you have a, a mortgage to pay and, and all those kinds of things. It can be super stressful. And so, um, you know, hopefully we can all be compassionate and help one another. Uh, and, um, and, and basically, again, just not judge people uh, either. Absolutely. I mean, it's a big network out there of people that have lost their incomes, lost their jobs, people who for the first time are understanding how to get food from food banks and uh you know hunger programs it's it's a time for everyone to wake up and shed their uh their prejudices from the past um we we just have to be uh straight up straightforward about what we have what we're willing to give and how much we care yes yes so uh let's wrap this up with one final um what do you think in 2021 do you have a a kind of bucket list or idea of what you want to how you would you prioritize money you know you said you have this well i guess we're talking about doing the going skiing hopefully in colorado we don't know what it's gonna yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. sure when when I'll get to do that, but I'm hoping this winter, if if COVID calms down enough that that ski resorts are open, I'm hoping sometime this winter to have a ski adventure. So that's my that's what I'm holding on to. All right, that sounds good for me. I, as you know, this Becky, we were going to go look at iPhones. I need. I want to have <laughs> an upgrade. So I'm thinking of buying a thing, not a as my splurge as you as I might call it oh but your listeners don't know this about you necessarily that this thing is also the tool that you use for making connections with other people because you take pictures you post you blog 
you share. So this is a tool for building connection. I can tell you that. Yes, I have to say, and I just love technology too. And I know that there ha it's taken a lot of flack with people that text instead of pay close attention to people. But I think that like almost everything, you can use it both for good or for uh, not so good. And as you said, I think phones and technology have been just wonderful for, for connection. I love that we can do Zoom and that we can do this podcast and all kinds of things. So um, yeah. I, I think that most of the things that we purchase, we can, even if they are things, we can either love them because they bring us joy for, because we think they're beautiful or, and, or you know, again, in this case, I do feel excited that um, a new phone could give me a better camera, which I want to learn how to to use better. So, so yes, um, yay to, to 2021 and new experiences and things to look forward to. Thank you, Becky, for this uh, great conversation about money and joy. And let's Thank you, Yvette. It's always good talking with you. All right. So let's, let's sign off with our one, two, three, three. DM. <laughs> Yay. Yay. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Listeners, we want to hear from you. So perhaps the easiest way is to find Carpe Diem Connections on Facebook in the Facebook group. Just search for Carpe Diem Connections and come join the discussion. You can also find me at carpediumday.com or email me directly at yvette.francino at gmail.com. See you next week on Carpe Diem Connections.